What's happening? Welcome to Wong Notes Podcast. I am your host, Corey Wong. I'm stoked today because we have one of my absolute guitar heroes on the show, Steve Vai. Come on. If you're listening to this podcast, you already know who Steve Vai is. If you're on a guitar podcast, you know who Steve Vai is. He's one of the modern day guitar heroes. He's been a guitar hero for what, 30 years now? And he's probably cemented himself in the history of mankind as one of the heroes on the instrument. Steve has such a unique way of delivering a melody and also having so much technical facility at the same time. I feel like a lot of people who play tons of lead stuff or who are quote unquote shredders, some of this stuff doesn't feel like it delivers the melody in a in a singing quality, but I feel like Steve somehow is able to deliver a melody in a way that feels a little more like a singer. I don't know. I get into this with him. One of the other things that we get into is the fact that a lot of lead players focus only on that and they don't know how to play rhythm guitar. There's a lot of people out there who just have a hard time playing rhythm guitar, don't know how to play rhythm guitar, just don't know what to practice or how to practice. I have the solution for you. CoreyWongGuitarCourse.com. That's it. I made about six hours worth of lessons, everything from how I practice, what I practice, how to practice rhythm guitar, how to think differently about rhythm, how to think about lead guitar and rhythm combined together, how to plan for recording sessions for getting gigs. There's a whole section on mastering the pentatonic scale. I dig it. I absolutely swear by it. I promise you, if you get this course, you go through all the lessons, you will be a much better guitar player. I promise. I'm leaving it at that. All right. I'm not going to hold you up any farther. Without further ado, Steve, bye! Hey, you guys know about DistroKid yet? If you are an artist, musician, somebody who's trying to get your music on Spotify, Apple Music, all of those things, DistroKid is a digital distributor that can get your music on all of those platforms. It's the easiest, fastest way to do so, with accounts even just starting at $19.99 a year per artist. So for me, I have several albums out. I just pay one amount for the year. For all the Corey Wong albums, I just pay one amount, and DistroKid takes 0% royalty. 100% of the royalties come straight to me. Or you use their Teams feature where you can dedicate a certain percentage to one member of your band, a certain percentage to the other, or one of your collaborators. I do this sort of thing. It works amazing. DistroKid is who I use for my albums, and it has worked great for me. The stuff gets up there fast. They have a smart ISRC thing. I don't have to worry about coming up with my own codes, registering a lot of the stuff. They just have that. And they also have these really cool design tools. If you are not very design savvy, they'll help you come up with assets for social media and other things to help promote your album. And if you want to use them, you can use my VIP code. Just go distrokid.com slash VIP slash Corey Wong and you get 30% off. How about that? Check them out. DistroKid. All right, let's hit this episode. Hey, how you doing? Hey, Steve. Great, man. How you doing? I'm doing great, but you know what? You're doing really great, brother. <laughs> Thanks, man. <laughs> I have to tell you how much I enjoy watching you play. Oh, thank you, man. That means a lot coming from you. I mean well, that. That's true. You, you know, I notice in every generation of musicians, there's always standouts, and it's obvious when they follow their interests and they really develop 
a portion of 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 that industry and when i watch you it's so rare to see anybody else so locked in to that kind of rhythm playing it's it's inspira- it's fantastic you're doing so good brother oh thank you that that really means a lot that's so kind of you to say so thank you i'm looking forward to more videos that you make well thanks well we got to do one together how about that i like that we have to jam man i would be into that i would be, be into that yeah i i have some questions about jams because i heard about a couple legendary jams but i you you brought up something interesting right out of the gate here that i think we should we should dive into because you you said you know every generation you see certain guitar players that stand out in a certain way. And I I think we all notice that. And I think everybody is searching for that. And of course, you know, for me, I acknowledge there are there are players who are much better than I am on a technical level, players who have more proficiency on the instrument, whatever. You know, there's there's certain things that you could kind of like objectively say, oh, maybe one person is quote unquote better than another. But for me, I've focused so much on finding what's most unique about me as a person and expressing that through my music to try to stand out. And of course, yeah, I could, I could work on the weightlifting and, and speed burst <laughs> thing of thing. And, you know, I, I play lead stuff and I, I could, I could play as, as well as I need to, but I'm curious for you in your generation, cause you came up in a generation of guitar heroes. <laughs> what was your journey of finding your voice and finding a way to stand out in a time when the guitar was like the celebrated instrument in music. Well, um, well, thank you. You know, the thing is, is when you follow the things that are really interesting to you, it, it, like you said, you, you, you wanted to find something where you can stand out. You didn't have to try mm. because it's going to be the only way you're going to stand out is to do what feels natural to you because that's what's going to be the best for you. And so you have to fo- you have to be brave about follow well actually you just have to follow your instincts and for me I was you know like yeah I was a product of the uh, uh, 70s I was a teenager in the 70s so all those really great Jimmy Page, Brian May, you know. So this was my food and that out of all the music that was possible that was out there i just immediately gravitated to that and my vision was uh, or my desire was i want to play the shit out of this thing i want control i want to be a beast i want to be you and you're a, i was a kid i had no idea what the future held the idea of being famous or anything like that was you know it's just a pipe dream yeah but i i loved the feeling, and I know you know what this feels like, the feeling of accomplishment mm-hmm. when you can't do something and then you work on it you, and then you hit that, that groove or you hit that, that spot and you go, ah, oh, oh yeah, there it is. There it, now, that's different for everybody. And mm-hmm. not one is better than the other. What's important is how con- the most important thing has always been how connected you are. Because that's what people experience when they're watching you play or listening, you know. I think a lot of players can get derailed Mm -hmm. because of what I might consider conditioned uh, beliefs about what other people think they should be doing, you know, Uh, which means succumbing to fear. Because 
everybody has the ability to find that unique thing that they'll be really good at. Yeah. Um, But they obstruct it. They, they, they obscure it with fear of not fitting in, fear of not being successful, fear of being made fun of or fear of failure and, you know, these things. So they say, well, maybe I shouldn't be doing this thing that feels really natural to me hmm. because he's not, you know, or she's not, whatever it is. So that's that's the derailing element of anybody's potential to actually exercise their full creative ability. You know what I'm saying? I like that. I like the landline, Steve. I, you know, it's rare. That that's that's actually the gate. I oh, it's the gate. Okay, <laughs> I haven't received a call from my landline in like forever. Because <laughs> I respect that. Like Lukather's call. I interviewed Lukather, and Lukather had a paper calendar and a landline in the back. He's like, "Yeah, that's what I'm doing, man." A paper calendar. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But I gotta tell. I gotta tell you, Corey. When I started seeing you play, it was very obvious to me that you were one of the guys that followed what was really interesting to you. Your effectiveness at what you do is really powerful because of that. You say, oh, I'm not a, you know, a shredder or anything like that. Why would you need to be when you're connected? Sure. You know? I mean, it's just a different statement, but it's, it's just as powerful. And there's many people that play rhythm that are still learning and they're just not connected. And then there's people that can, you know, flail about and and they're still learning. They're still trying to find that connection. You know, the only connection they know is academics, Mm. you know, and it's like, so the playing can become very intellectualized. Yeah. You know, and, and that has its place, but I've always seen it as a, uh, a sort of foundation, but not the not. It's it's sort of part of the structure, but not necessarily the foundation for real effective playing. Yeah, and it's interesting because you know if somebody is very technically proficient, it doesn't mean that they're not musical. If somebody is very expressive and musical, it doesn't mean that they're not technically proficient. Those two can live together. You are a prime example of that. So I wanted to dive into that because so many people who admire and and want to go for the shredding thing, want to play the super fast stuff, which is awesome. I love that myself. I love listening to it. But a lot of people, like that's what they want to go for in their playing, in their life. That's that's what they want as part of their identity. Mm-hmm. Like you're saying, sometimes it doesn't feel like it has... The musicality, sometimes it feels a little rigid, academic. There's a lot of different adjectives we could describe. Mm-hmm. But there's something about it that doesn't feel as musical. You, Satriani, there's so there's so many people that are able to do that. Mark Letieri is somebody now, you know, a friend of mine who I listen to him, and I, I it's expressive and it's technical. What do you think it is that somebody needs to pay attention to that they might not be paying attention to if they are starting to sound too academic. Their instincts. That's what has to be paid attention to the most. When you follow your instincts, there's no, uh, there's, there's no resistance. Mm. Because if you're interested in shredding, you will, you will find yourself practicing till you're blue in the face. Yeah. If you're not, it's a fantasy. Mm. It's, it's a fantasy. Because if you don't put the work in, what it means is 
you're not interested enough. Yes. That's all. So, so, but, and you, what, it, what it also means is your instincts, uh, perhaps this is, you know, that are not necessarily bringing you, want to bring you in that direction. If they did, you would do it, mm. you know? So uh, same thing with, uh, with technical playing. Uh, I mean, with uh, the academics of music theory and this kind of thing, because uh, you, you probably get asked the same question a lot. Do I need to know music? Yeah. You know, what if I don't know music theory? Yeah. And my answer to that is you will learn music theory if it's interesting to you. Yes. And you won't if it's not. And it doesn't matter because mm. if you're following if you're following your instincts without any excuses. And what I mean by that is reading magazines and people telling you what's cool or not. You know what I mean? Then you have no worries. You know, if yeah. you're following that, you will just automatically go to listening to those records that stimulate the most stimulate you the most writing songs that stimulate you in those areas because you know what it feels like to write something that's not you but you feel like you got to write it for other people you're not really yeah. great at it I'm, mm -hmm. I'm not you know yeah. you won't be as good at that as those that are really interested in that world and are a part of that world yeah um and you won't be um uh, you won't be happy even if it's a hit. Yeah. In fact, that's usually the point where you realize that th th this isn't, that's not it. You yeah. Know, be being successful on that level is nice. Be being su successful, so to speak, in the eyes of the world is nice, mm -hmm. but it, it's, not, it does, it's not fulfilling the way I believe people think it is. The, the only way to really be fulfilled is when you're, expressing your your real creative uh impulses that's the that's fulfillment yeah you yeah. you brought up those two words that's something i think about a lot is the idea of success versus fulfillment which can be very different things they again can be aligned they can be aligned they're aligned I'm, in my life <laughs> yes absolutely so i'm i'm curious for you what because it, it i i see it in your face i see it in your music i hear it in the albums you're making this new album you've made the albums you've been making for how many years now i could see it's still fun for you i could see you're still trying things out exploring the possibilities of the instrument the possibilities of expressing who you are so i'm curious I, you know i've asked the i've asked the question to several people of what does success mean for you now but I, I think actually what i'm more curious because you brought this up is what what is it that brings you the most fulfillment now after after having success and fulfillment for so many years yeah thank you um this would be the truth the success that worldly success meaning yep mache money all this yeah, stuff yeah. It's nice. It comes with its challenges, you know, mm -hmm. but it's nice. But it's not fulfilling like, uh, okay, for me, the most fulfilling thing, and I know you're going to know what this means. When, when an idea comes to me that is compelling, a creative idea, right? It's compelling. It, and, and it's like, oh, you get that. You know, you get the vision of it and you go, oh, yeah, yeah, oh. Okay. All right. I'm doing it. And you go to do it and it's like, I, how do I, I don't even know where to start. You know, it's like what? And then you just, just start. You just yeah. start. So as you're doing it, 
uh, every little unrollment of the process is is like a, a delight. Mm. You treat it you treat it like a little victory. Yeah, and that that is the fulfillment. It's in the, it's it's in the watching it unfold. But mm. the real bang for me is on those occasions where I sit back and listen to it when it's done, and it turns out better than I could have ever expected. That is like. I, I get I, I get weak. I mean, I just start weeping. Yeah. And it's and it doesn't need to be better for anybody else. Yeah, that's the thing. It just needs to make you feel that way, because who's going to get the direct experience? Hmm. You. No one else is going to get the. Everybody else will get their own direct experience of it. But which one is really the most valuable one? Yours. <laughs> so yeah. that's what I look for. You know, and I and I get it. So when I sit back and like listen to this record, yep. there's parts of it that came to me uh, <clears throat> as a vision, yep. you know, an idea that seemed impossible, but I knew I could do it. I have impossible ideas and, that I know I can't do and, and I abandon them. But those, <laughs> you know, but those impossible ideas that you just say, well, that does, I, I don't know if I, no, I could do that. I could do that. Yeah, yeah, I can, I got to work, man. You got to put the screws to it, you know. Yeah, but that's the fun part. Nothing stops you. It's it's like now I got to sit down and practice. No, for people who want that, hmm. the practice is the 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 fun part too. So listening back, sometimes it doesn't. Sometimes I miss the mark completely. Sure, you know that happens too. But on those occasions where I hit the mark, that's the answer to your question. I love that's, that. That's the most fulfilling thing. And There's it's good, nice when other people like it. Of course. Yeah. Very yeah. nice. Very yeah. nice. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's a couple moments that I've noticed in your playing, either from this album or from the last year and a half of watching and continuing to follow what you do that stand out as things that seem really like like they were interesting to you. And then they translate to like your excitement about it in the way you play it translate to the translates to the audience listening mm-hmm. to some of the 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 bending stuff that you do on this new album kind of the two notes and just yeah, kind of use candle power yeah yeah like it's i just i've heard the that sort of thing done in different styles of music but you found a way to to do it in a unique mm. different that there's just like a different thing with that what was that one of those kind yeah. of exploration things for you well, it, it, it was a, uh, a visual first, you know, it was, and, and, you know, when these ideas come, they, 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 they come to us in like downloads, you know, <laughs> yeah. it's like, they're like holograms in that all of the elements are in it and you just have to then flesh it out. So yeah. an idea comes and it's like, oh, I got it. You don't know what the notes are going to be. You don't really know even what the song is going to be, but you know what it's going to be. Mm. So this an idea a creative idea came to me and one of the things that i do occasionally uh, that helps to push me to approach things dif- in a, 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 a more unique way is i set up limitations hmm. like i might say and i do it on every every song i i that i record you know i say there has to be something in this track that's unique for me yeah i don't know what it is and sometimes it's very subtle and sometimes it turns into something like that weirdy bend thing you know yeah so um, uh, the the visual came and what it was, was uh, I want to play a clean tone, which my tone is usually heavily distorted and flooded and delayed. 
day and all this stuff. That's what I like, you know, it's my, sure. I just like it. And uh, so I occasionally will use clean tones, you know, but this, I wanted whole piece, trio piece. So this was all the idea. It was yep. a, a visualization, trio piece, clean guitar, no whammy bar, which is like, you know, you might as well remove my arm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I, whammy bar is just part of my, you know, DNA. Yeah. And uh, not my normal guitar, more of like a Strat, which is like, for me, I love them, but I don't play them well, you know? Yeah, it's, sure. Yeah. And then um, no, uh, uh, no pick, which mm. for me is like... Uh, I've spent precious little time developing my finger picking. I'm not very good at it, but I knew that I could navigate. So all of those parameters, I thought, well, that's nice. That, that'll that push me. I have to work my ass off. I I know I can do it, of course, you know, or else I wouldn't have done it. Yeah. But it wasn't enough. It wasn't enough. <laughs> okay. I said, okay, now where? Okay, Steve, that, that's fine and dandy, but that doesn't, you know, there's nothing cool. I mean, nothing cool about that. <laughs> In my mind. Sure. Yeah, you know, yeah, you're, you're telling mind, yourself. Yeah, what yeah. else are you going to do? What yeah. else? And that's when the idea to finally employ this concept that I was thinking about for many, many, many years that I could never do because you can't have a whammy bar, hmm. uh, which means, uh, which was this bending technique of, uh, I was just, it was just the thought. What happened? What would happen? It was like a, like cartoon. Yeah. My mind. What would it sound and look like to just see fingers going in all directions, bending, yeah. you know? Now, I had known country players were doing something similar where they bend a note and they play while holding the bent note. Yeah. You know, I said, that's cool. I, and I used to fool around with that, but it wasn't, I was thinking like all this weird stuff, you know, bending two and three notes at a time. And uh, so the visual was there and I could hear it. I could. I didn't know what it was going to be, but you you know what I'm yeah, talking. Yeah, right? exactly. Imagine, yeah, exactly. And it's like, ah, that's it. Okay. Mm -hmm. So when I sat down to do it, I didn't realize how hard it was. You know, yeah. because <laughs> I mean, I, I have photos of my fingers, and they they just get would would get completely torn up in a short period of time. So it took a long time, and luckily it was locked down. So I had all this time. So I would, it was weeks of just like, how am I going to, you know? And then uh, because you're bending like an, a, a D or an A string with one finger. Yeah. You know, it, it just tears you up, you know? Yeah. And the intonation is deftifying, you know, to try to have two, three notes bent and yeah. in tune. Yeah. That's a big boy game. Man. <laughs> <laughs> so um, I'm, I'm working on this and, uh, Finally, when it started to come together, it was just fascinating. And when I would hear it back, I go, oh, my God, it, it, it's exactly what I was thinking. You know, it's, it's obtuse, you know, and it's, a, it's quirky. Yeah. That's me, obtuse and quirky. So, it <laughs> <laughs> and I got to say, my real, my real goal with that was the technique. And I called it joint shifting because I noticed when you get hmm. into certain situations you know when you bend a note your fingers are touching other strings yeah but when you're doing this you can't you can't the other parts of your finger can't touch other strings because they're ringing you know yeah so i discovered the real reason was i know that there's these freak young guitar players out there that have younger fingers and more time and <laughs> i love to see some of these guys take because i'm scratching the surface i'm tickling the surface of that technique 
my mind, I see like a whole piece of music, all completely joint shifted and beautiful, but, but you know, a year. So hopefully somebody out there will see that technique and go, okay, it's my turn now. I like that. <laughs> know what I'm I saying? Like they're going to be yes. seeing you do your stuff and they're going to take it to another level. <laughs> yeah. When, when people yeah. first saw Jocko, it was like, oh, all of a sudden this thing is now unlocked for the instrument. You know, I think a lot of guitar playing yeah. that your generation learning and taking off from the generation before you, it's it, there's so much that has just built on of what's possible, what the imagination can go with. And then, oh, well, there's this. And like, what if I did joint shifting with Wes Montgomery, you know, or meets Pat Metheny, then what, you know? So I think that'd be, that'll be exciting to see where that goes. Yeah, I don't know if anybody will pick it up, but I do know that it is exciting when when you see something new and it inspires you, yeah. I have a question for you about delivering a melody. Because you deliver mm-hmm. a melody on the guitar in a way that I haven't heard anybody else do it. And I think there are there's probably some objective things about it. Your your phrasing, your whammy bar use, the way you're making it sing. I'm curious if you just have just some general principles of how to deliver a melody in a compelling way on the instrument. Well, I'll do my best. Um, I think the song itself tells you what the melody needs and mm. that's if you're a melody player sure you know, some people aren't they they just like rhythm and stuff like that and that's fine yep i've always yep. liked i've just always been involved with melody i think a lot of that stems back from just my my training where you had to write music yeah you had to write melodies and the way i try to de- deliver a melody is similar to the human voice in that you know, when we're speaking, there's commas, there's inflections, you know, there's question marks, you know, there's exclamation marks. There's all the, there's, there's a phrasing in the way we speak and communicate as humans, whereas you don't even need to necessarily at times know what the words are. Hmm. You can, you, you know, just by the delivery of the inflections, the articulation, things like that. So I try to incorporate that into a melody because that's how we communicate. So my melodies, they, I always, even my solos, there's, there's a, a reaction in me when I'm playing mm. to be singing what I'm playing sort of, you know, and speaking what I'm playing. And I used to do this great exercise that I could share with people who are interested where you take a phrase, any kind of phrase, you know, like how cool is it to be talking with Corey Wong right now? <laughs> You know, I mean, those notes can be played anywhere on the guitar. And if you're speaking it in your mind while you're playing it, it's not going to sound like you're running scales. Yeah. It can't. Mm. It has to sound like a voice. It must, you know, if you are really connected, you know. And you can do that with any phrase, you know, if it's like... um Maybe it's something more meaningful. Maybe it's something that you in your life that you're going through. If you just keep playing that phrase and reciting it in your head on the, you play it on the guitar. It, it, it's miraculous how it changes the dynamic of the melody. Mm. You, you're speaking now, so that's yeah. how I like to try to approach my. And sometimes I just throw all that shit away and just play as wild and as fast as I can because that's fun too. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> that- <laughs> 
Absolutely. And, and I think there's a time for that. There's a time for chaos and disorder, and there's a time for just this peaceful peace. Yeah. yeah order. <laughs> yeah. What does the modern day guitar hero look like to you? You. <laughs> You're too kind. Listen, brother, I'm serious. You will be, if, and your, your star is rising, and that's because you found your note. And when people watch you, when guitar players watch, they're getting sick of shit like me, you know, where it's, well, some people, you know, where it's, they, it, they don't want to practice their whole life. You mm. know what I mean? To be able to go, you know, whatever. Uh, they want to be able to funk out and groove and they need an inspiration. And that's what a guitar hero is. Mm. Does that make sense? It does. I, 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 I know it might be uncomfortable for you, but... <laughs> It's just, it's true. Well, thank you. Well, so what was the question? Well, like what the, what the modern day guitar hero is, like what does that, what do you think, because the guitar is celebrated in a different way nowadays than yeah. it was 10 years ago and 10 years before that. The way the role of the guitar in music now, I'm just wondering how you see, because you've seen so much you, you've seen eras of the guitar and been through them all. So I'm curious what you think the modern day guitar hero will look like or currently looks like and kind of what the direction of that is. Well, it's it's genre based because there's guitar playing in most genres, right? right? And at times the spotlight on the guitar rises in that genre and sometimes it backs out. But uh, I would say the modern day guitar hero would be somebody that's able to bring together all of those elements that make a piece of music or a performance um, really powerful and effective. That would be the, the, the hero, you know, because they did it. It's sort of like saying, I get messages and questions sometimes from guitar players saying, Guitar music isn't popular anymore. Instrumental music isn't popular. You you got in right under the wire, you know, but I can't because it's just not popular anymore. Mm. And my answer to that is it wasn't popular when Jeff Beck released Blow by Blow or Wired. And it wasn't popular when Satriani released Surfing with the Alien. And it wasn't popular, blah, blah, blah. So you have to make it popular Mm. that's what a guitar hero does ah. they make their voice popular because it's so powerful it's so powerful that it inspires others so that's what a, a modern day guitar hero looks like i love that there's one story that i need to set the record straight on that i've heard legend of because i grew up in minneapolis i come from that kind of paisley park school right i grew up learning from a lot of those cats and sunny t the bass player plays in my band and he was telling me one time really yes he was telling me a story about one time your band was in Minneapolis or something playing and prince invited you down to paisley park to come hang and jam and sit in and sunny t and michael bland drums and bass were hanging out just like ready to go and they set you up with a rig they set you up with everything and Prince just kind of like didn't show up, but you were jamming with Sonny and Michael and Sonny just said it was like the most insane, incredible, just improvising 
a set of music on the Paisley Park soundstage for like an hour. And he said, I just found this video. I have this video of Steve Vai and us playing together. And he wanted to like do a tour or something and call it Canvas. Because we just paint the canvas every night. Can you corroborate this story? (laughs) Yes, it's true. Uh, It was great because I was a huge Prince fan. Yeah. And we were playing in Minneapolis. And my uh, my wife's cousin, Sal uh, Greco, worked at Paisley Park. He basically was he, he worked there longer than anybody had ever sure. worked. You know, he like was he oversaw sure. the studios and all this. So uh, Prince would have these wild kind of open nights at Paisley Park. You know, it was fantastic. And I went there after a show. Right. Fantastic. Yeah. And I went there after a show with the band. And the, the thing that Sonny didn't tell you is Sonny and Michael, they they weren't there. They were home in bed sleeping, I was told. <laughs> so, I, yeah, because I got there late. It, my gig was over. It was, I was like 2, 3 a.m. or something, and I get there. And uh, I never saw Prince. I just got messages. He, really? He had them call Sonny and Michael and woke them up. Now, they, they, Sonny can tell you if that's true or not that's just what i was told next thing i know they're out of bed and they're there and it's the three of us on the stage and we're jamming and i remember it it was it was great these guys man they're like magic yeah you know it's like they're in your ear it was an esp jam you know yeah and i'm like fucking prince man he's got it made with these guys you know <laughs> and my guys were good too but just different you know <laughs> Uh, d- different. They were uh, the, the whole Minneapolis connection thing. They were so tied into that, and um, it was fantastic. And we jammed, and it, it, even in the it's, the boss is going to come down and jam with you. So I'm like, "Damn, you're right, baby." Yeah, come on, Prince. And he wasn't Prince at the time. Yeah, he was the boss. You know, it was kind of yeah. Thing. So. Um, they brought down yeah. his as I'm as we're jamming. They bring down his pedal board, his micro, every his guitar and everything. And then we're jamming. And time's going by. Time's going by. It's getting later and later and earlier in the morning. And you know, and he's he's just not there. And we're just jamming. And and I'm like, I gotta get to the next gig. You know. <laughs> <laughs> so we played for like an hour or so, and then I um, I said, I'm so sorry. I gotta go. You know. And uh, as I was leaving, somebody came up to me and said. The boss would like your phone number. So I said, okay, here it is, you know. So I thought maybe Prince was going to call me. But um, as it turned out, from what I was told, uh, he was uh, in a room watching, because the whole stage was outfitted with cameras, watching it from backstage and videotaping it. (laughs) But he he never came down. He just sat and watched it. And what was so interesting, just like a month or so later, a couple of months later, maybe I'm in New Zealand and I'm doing a show and somebody hands me this uh, CD to sign and it's a bootleg. It's a video. It's it's a VHS. It's a bootleg VHS of the performance at uh, Paisley Park. So I know it's out there someplace. That's incredible. Sonny has a copy. I will get a copy from Sonny. I'll, I'll digitize it and send it to you. I, will, I, I have to see it. <laughs> yeah, me too. I'd love to. <laughs> so I want to hear a little bit about on your new album, you have a lot of different people that you've collaborated with. You, at this point, could probably have 
your pick of whatever drummer, bass player, keyboard player you want. You've had so many amazing musicians on your albums. What are you looking for for the musicians that you hire to be your band on the road and in the studio? And is it something different that you're looking in those situations? Yeah, um, I, I look for the musician that best suits the, the song, mm. you know, um, when I'm in the studio. Because my music can be kind of diverse. On this record, uh, and, and, and you're right, there, I'm very fortunate in that I could reach out to most people and they might be interested to, to contribute. Yeah. So uh, the song, like, Apollo and Color was telling me, you got to have Vinny on this. You yeah. Know, Vinny Kaliuta on drums. And, uh, uh, and also uh, Henrik, Henrik Linder. I mean, I've been following him for a while, and he's just, a, you know, just an incredible player. Absolutely. And I sent him the track. Yeah, I sent him the track, and he said he was interested. So that, uh, that was fantastic. And he just... He just killed it, you know, it killed it. And so did Vinny, you know. And so then a song like Sandman Cloud Mist, I knew I wanted Vinny on drums on that. And then uh, with a song, the song Candle Power, originally I released it with the video with just like a drum loop. But when I yeah. was, got back into the studio, I listened to it and I thought, Terry Bozio, you know, the, if Terry would mm. do this, I know, I know he's going to just, because he's so artistic. So, you know, this kind of thing. And then there's one song, Avalanche, where they're, they're just, I don't know anybody that could deliver a bass part like Billy Sheehan for that song, mm. you know? So the song kind of tells you. And then when it comes time to tour, you got to find guys that can pretty much do it all, you know, and, and understand what, what what the flavors of these songs are and how to make them come to life. So... I've been so lucky because my touring band, who also plays on the record a lot, because they're very suited for, yeah, is a like Jeremy Coulson on drums. This guy, I mean, he is like, if I go deaf, it's because of him, you know, because he hits so hard and rock and roll. He's rock and roll, you know. He's like a punk, you know? yeah. But he has this ability and this unbelievable um, sort of. Uh, attitude to learn things that are really out there and uh his timing is just like like okay if anybody wants to know where one is it's right there <laughs> you know what i mean yeah i, I don't think he's yeah. dropped a beat in 30 years of being in my band you know <laughs> and uh and philip bino the bass player he's another uh, just incredibly well-rounded musician he's got perfect pitch no matter where i go Philip is cradling me in soft blankets, you know, it's like, don't worry, I got mm. you, you know, so no, no matter where I go, and sometimes I just go places just to fool with him, and he's just there. It's so great. And and uh, my other guitarist, Dave Wiener, is just completely fully rounded, perfect, because he has great retention, you know, which... I don't know. Sometimes I suffer from that. I'm not very good at remembering my own parts, <laughs> you know. So Dave mm. will remind me. But he's just uh, completely well-rounded <laughs> musically. So I'm really lucky. I got a great band, and they're a great kind of uh, amalgamation of the kind of things I like in the studio, too. Yeah. Because it's a guitar podcast, there's going to be people hunting here for some gear information, mm -hmm. right? It's It's inevitable. <laughs> How are you feeling these days about amps versus modeling stuff. What are you stoked about right now? 
What gear are you stoked about? Um, well, I don't use modeling. You know, I might use it a little bit in the studio to kind of add something. But for me, modeling, uh, you know, when, when you're sitting in your room by yourself and you're playing through an amplifier, you can be, you can be bamboozled into thinking that it sounds really good. And maybe it does. But what I've noticed is you really don't know what the integrity of a sound is until you take it to the battlefield. You know, like you, you put it in the track with the cymbals and the other guitars and the vocal, you know, whatever it is. Or you take it onto a stage where it's competing with all sorts of frequencies, you know. So what I notice happens yeah. is that an anemic, sim- an anemic kind of a sound that has the illusion of being big... When it's in the bat, when it's on the battlefield, men are men, and tiny weeny sounds are tiny weeny sounds. You know what I mean? So it it, uh, it, it the modeling never really seems to stack up. Supplementing a tone with modeling for me is fine, but uh, as far as other g- amplifiers, I got to tell you, Corey, through the years I've been able to work with companies to kind of design the kind of sound I was looking for, and, and naturally I went through the Marshall phase and all the boutique amplifiers and they've all served great purposes mm-hmm. for me, but never really my, the sound I was looking for, you know, I'm a legato, yeah. I'm a legato kind of a player. So I, I like smooth dis- distortion and little compression, you know? So, um, I started working mm-hmm. with Carvin many years ago and developing an amp and we developed the legacy and that really for me it just kind of hit it and it took a while it was like two years and i even got deep into the forensics of what is an amplifier you know and how why do they how do they work yeah what does this do these capacitors and why this quality and uh um carvin was able to build a very high quality amplifier at a very reasonable price because they're a little home company that does mail order you know yeah so that was great for many years and then they kind of backed off on uh selling you know they kind of closed their doors Hmm. and that was after we went through three iterations of the amp and i was looking for a new amp company and i just thought oh my god here we go again you know trying to find somebody and i got all these great amps from all these companies and i just then i discovered boutique audio and Boutique Audio is this company that mm. actually are the ones that make all of these boutique amps for a lot of these companies. They build them. And they had uh, acquired this technology to use these modules as preamps. So they started making this line of modules. And I think that's their Synergy company. Okay. So Synergy started making these modules. And I thought it was a novel idea because now you can have a preamp module that has the uh, integrity of an actual amplifier that it's replicating that they licensed the technology from. So if you like buy a Friedman module, that's that's all the yeah. technology that's in a Friedman preamp section, tubes and everything are in this module. Then you just pump it out to a power amp. So you can have like two of these modules in one rack space and each module has two channels, yeah. clean and dirty. So I got like th- four space. So I, I have yeah eight ma eight different amplifiers and sixteen channels because there's two of each. Yeah. So like if I hit the, uh, I've got the, a bunch of them like Bogner or uh, Diesel or you know some of the some of the companies they didn't 
they didn't get licenses, so they made sort of similar, you know, like the Fender stuff. It's like Aceman is just like, it's just so good, you know? So yeah. I thought this was fantastic because now I, I'm not endorsing one company. Yeah. I'm endorsing a company that gives me every, all of these amplifiers, you know? Mm. Still, none of them sounded like my legacy. So I worked with Synergy for about a year and a half to develop a module that sounds mm. like my legacy. We did. Uh, it's, you know, it's different because every time you have an opportunity yeah. to change something, you kind of tweak sure. it a little bit, you know? So that's what I ended up using, you know? And it was a kind of, it's a kind of thing where whenever I record something, I always also record the DI so that I could mm. reamp it. And yeah. then you can blend different amplifiers into mm. one recording. You got to be careful yeah. when you do that. But, uh, you know, phasing and stuff. But um, even those songs where I decided not to use my synergy, I ended up going back and reamping it and making the main tone the synergy because I just couldn't hang. With, really? Yeah, it was weird. <laughs> well, that's great that you know yourself and you know your sound so yeah, well that you... It's good. Whether it's, uh, that's it's a great a thing. <laughs> supreme sound for everybody else that, you know... I don't expect that, but it is for me. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I think that's what's cool, even just with the earlier part of our conversation of just finding something that's uniquely you. I think your guitar, your amp, the effects, your ear is searching for something that's deep within you, and you're constantly searching for that. Now, that another person, if I sat down with a gem and with a synergy or, you know, or, and a legacy, what, you know, whatever, whatever things, every, literally every piece of gear that you own yeah, and right. use, yeah. I might like, no, it's not gonna... I'll lean Vi-ish Absolutely. in my sound. You can never but, disguise that. And I, that's yeah, I'm still going to sound like me, you know? <laughs> very apparent to me on a lot of occasions. One time uh, I was sitting in my, stu my studio and, you know, my guitar, my pedals, my amp, my miking technique, everything. And Edward Van Halen came in, you know, because we were hanging out at the time. And he's yeah. just sitting right there and and we're talking. And he goes, oh, yeah, and I wrote this thing. You know, and he grabs yeah. my guitar from me and he starts playing. And the motherfucker sounded just like Edward Van Halen. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, how dare you? Yeah. <laughs> My, give me my guitar back. Yeah. You know, but it was, that was very, and that's happened time and time again. One time, Satch and I were on stage and Brian May came out and it only required one note. Really? Yeah. And Billy, uh, Billy Gibbons came out once. This was what, this was a great one. Joe and I are playing and we're, you know, we're like shredders, you know, you know, doing our thing. And Billy Gibbons is like, his tone is as big as Pacoima. You know, just, <laughs> and he comes out and he just plays like one note and we're standing in back of him and Joe and I just look at each other and go. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, it's, it was like, so Billy Gibbons, you can't dis dis disguise your intention. Yeah. 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 That's so interesting how that works, but it, it's almost cliche at this point, but it's just so it's, it's, that's what it is. You, if somebody has a voice and has something really strong, it's just going to, like, if you put curry on kind of any dish, it's, it's going to sound, it's going to taste like curry, you yeah. know? Uh, 
exactly. But yeah, it's, it's based a- on what's underneath it that's going to give you the overall. Like, <laughs> what are you putting it on? <laughs> yeah. yeah, man. Yeah, you must have. I, I can imagine you've been around. I mean, just thinking of all the bands and people you've collaborated with. I'm, I'm. This is a new thing that I'm curious about because I'm starting to have this question for myself. I, I literally just started thinking this thing a couple days ago. There, there's two sides of it. I'll let you decide which to answer first. It's about kind of if you could go back in time and relive a moment just to enjoy it again and just to like have the heart moment of that. If you could go back and just relive one for the sake of the joy that it brought you, I'm curious of what that would be any, anywhere in your life musically. And then also any moment that you could go back to because I, I just, I want to fix that one thing. Just let me relive that one moment so I can fix that one, <laughs> that one thing. I'm curious those two for you. Okay. Oh, that's interesting. I have to think about that. I think the most profound moment for me in my musical history or career that I could remember was the very first one. And I remember I was probably four, four or five years old and I walked up to a piano and I hit a note and I noticed that to the right, the notes go higher like this. And then to the left, they go lower. And right at that moment, there was two two things happened. It was like a download. Mm. And I realized the construction of music. I I instantly kind of recognized how how music worked. I, it's a big statement, but it did just like a clarity of oh, so these notes are here, and you you can put them here, and you know on paper if you put it here, it's it's and that's how you build chords, and that's how you build, and so that so the, the the recognition of how to make music or how music is made came to me kind of like just in a flash. But then the second kind of download at the same moment, basically, was the, the, the recognition of, of the infinite nature of creating music. Like, you're never going to repeat yourself. That you'll nev- you can never run out of ideas. It's like saying the universe is limited or something, you know? Mm-hmm. So that, and then I knew in that moment, I didn't, I, five years old, you're, what are you, you know, you're not thinking about the future or like, sure. oh, I'm a musician. I don't know any, about any of that. Yeah, I just immediately felt this feeling of uh, openness, it, like discovering life, you know, and and thinking I can make mu- I can th- th- I can make music infinitely, mm. infinitely. That and I knew that it's hard to explain. I just knew right there that um, it, that creating music is an infinite process. And I can do it. Yeah. So, so I don't, there's no, there was no ego in it or anything like sure. that. I didn't know if I'd be good or anything. I didn't know anything, but it was a, a lifting up. It was like, I say, yeah, Christmases were nice. But if you took all of them and put it to put them together, that moment of dis- the discovery of the freedom in to create, that was a full on epiphany. Hmm. Yeah. And what was the second question? If you could go back in time and relive one moment 
because you because you want to fix something that like ah, I, I maybe one live show where you're like this note just let me get this one note or if it's like what something you said something that you an album you put out I don't know anything I, I'm just curious <laughs> Boy, we could be here a long time brother <laughs> I, I see a lot of things well you know the funny thing is, is as you as you get older you see you see your progress of thought processes through the years. Mm. You see your belief structures that you had. You see those things that were so important to you that now seem ridiculous. You yeah. Know? So there's there's all of that to contend with, but they're all important. You're going through them now. Yeah. But um, what I'm trying to think. What I mean, there's so many kind of things where I say. <laughs> Here's the thing. People say if there was something that you could go back to and redo, would you do it? And the the stock answer is. No, I wouldn't change a thing. Everything mm-hmm. worked out perfect. And although I believe that's the truth, yeah, there's things I'd love to go back and change. <laughs> yeah. But here's the thing. I'm changing them now. Mm. I'm changing them the only time you can change them and the only way you can change them, which is by recognizing another way of doing it, by seeing how you used to do it. Mm. You know? Yeah, so now, you know, those things that I saw myself doing or would like to have changed, I'm changing them. We're all doing that. I know? love that. Yeah. But I, to, to bring it to one instant, that's hard. I don't think okay, you have I'll, to. I think your answer was good enough. That, that yeah, was... Yeah. One of the things that's funny for me when I look back and I see some of my interviews when I was young, like, you know, 26, 27, man, I was so cocky. <laughs> so pretentious you know i can't i'm like who is that guy he was jack butler <laughs> what were you pretentious about that that makes you cringe now um okay so when i was young and i was playing uh, i'll let you in on a secret okay and this isn't really i'm trying to i'll try to get this point across because it's important that people understand this for themselves and that it's not it doesn't have to necessarily be perceived as pretentious or egomaniacal. I never thought I was a great guitar player, honestly. I, I, I felt like I was an un, untapped composer, uh, you know. But playing an instrument was always hard for me. I had to work really, really mm. hard, but I love it. And I would, anybody that played around me, I'd say, oh, that guy's better than me. Especially if you go into Berkeley, he's better than me. He's better that that, that untouchable. Listen to that tone. Listen mm-hmm. to that. Why can't you sound that good? Why you know why does your t- tone not you know? And but all along, there was always something in me that said, "But you're untouchable mm. because your musical ideas are different than anything that you're hearing. No, nobody is gonna. Nobody can think like you." Nobody can think like anybody. Yeah. That was, that is our unique creative nature. Yeah. So, so I knew that. I, I just knew, now, I don't care what anybody's doing. It's not me. Mm. Okay. <laughs> now, when the ego gets a hold of that, what it says is, yeah, and it's better than everybody else. Mm. You know what I'm saying? So, yeah. That didn't that didn't hit me yet. Mm-hmm. It was more like, 
It doesn't matter what anybody's doing. Learn from it, but they, they're not going to do what you're going to do. It's, it doesn't mm. matter who or what they are. You're, they're just not going to. So I always, I never even looked at the competition in a way. You know, I didn't sure. see this competition yeah. because they're not me. You yeah. Know? So then when all of a sudden the uh, popularity started to kick in, you know, you get my first solo record, The Crossroads, David Lee Roth, Whitesnake. Passion and warfare, all these great things. Yeah, and you and you opening up a newspaper, you open up and people are your heroes are saying, "Oh my God, this guy's so brilliant!" And you know, you start reading all this stuff. At first, you're like, "Who are they talking about?" You know, like that's I'm just playing the guitar. I remember mm. I worshipped Jimmy Page. Like you have no idea when I was a kid. And one year, I tied for best overall guitar player in the world with him in like guitar player. And I, I got mad, <laughs> you know, I'm like, how dare people compare me to him? He, he that's Jimmy page. I can't yeah. even see my name in print next to him, you know? Yeah. But it, in the back of my mind, I'm like, yeah, but I get it. Cause he's not me. Mm. <laughs> you know. So then, <laughs> so then what happens is the ego comes in the back door when you are receiving all of this praise mm. and it, for, at least for me, for a weak, for a weak yeah. mind, it comes in and it bamboozles you and it mm. says, yeah, you're the greatest, you know? So that was in the background. Yeah, sure. For a little while, because, and that's like when I say, when I see the arrogance in the interviews I did in the 90s, because in the background, a part of me was believing uh, uh, what what a lot of people were saying at the time sure you know uh, but as history usually proves all these things are fleeting <laughs> sure. and when the when the genre change and grunge came in it was the exact opposite uh, you know i was a poster boy for everything that was wrong about playing the guitar mm. you know and that was a beautiful crucifixion that i desperately needed personally you know mm. because many things came from it and one of the things was it still didn't matter what was going on. A good idea is a good idea. And my responsibility was to find those good ideas that were right for me and bring them into the world. And I just continued to make the music that was important to me. That was my saving grace because if it's important to you, like really important to you and you're doing what you really love, that flows into it. And yeah. it flows into your product and it's experienced that way by those, not everybody, but those that it resonates with. And yeah. that's your audience and that's your authentic audience. Yeah. And and I've been so lucky that through the years I've been able to develop a group of people that follow and support. So yeah. really lucky. That's that is really great to hear. And and as you're saying this, I'm piecing a lot of the things together from from the beginning you talked about some people having a fear that holds them back. Yeah. And a fear to find who they are, a fear to explore their own unique voice. You talked about when you were 4 or 5 years old hitting the piano, immediately knowing, maybe not immediately, in having a, an epiphany that music is infinite. And you can do it. Those two things, very compelling. The fact that it is infinite and you can do it. And the fact that you put in the time, you had the, 
the ambition, you had the vision, and you knew what you had to offer. And then you just kind of like went all in on that. It's really inspiring. It's it's also inspiring to hear you have an awareness of self within all of this and, and kind of understanding like the thing that was maybe what you're looking at as now looking back as like it's some, I mean, arrogance is arrogance, but I think there's a piece of that that was maybe your biggest strength that the ego kind of took a hold of and, and made a, a little bit of a weakness. Yeah. But it seems that one of your superpowers is just kind of understanding yourself and what you can bring and like having a vision of like a kind of an, an, an endless, like, like you're saying an endless or an infinite view of what music has to offer, not just yourself, but every person and that every person is granted that exact same thing. Yeah. It, my superpower is no different than anybody else's. And what it is, is the decision to follow an inspired idea. That's it. That's your superpower. Mm. The decision that you make to follow a compelling, enthusiastic idea that you know you can make happen, that you know you, that you own. You own it in your mind. This isn't something that's unique to me, obviously. I'm this, every, everybody does this on one level. But as you mentioned, the fear has a tendency to derail it, derail your beautiful, your purpose, your purpose. Mm. And a lot of people say, well, I'm not good enough to be, your purpose isn't necessarily to be a great guitar player. Sure. You know, I don't think the universe cares about that at all. I think what it cares about is that you're doing what you enjoy and you're enjoying it while you're doing it. It's so interesting to see people who have these things that they do in life that while they're doing them, they're really enjoying them. There's no fear in it at all. There's, there's no fear. There's no projection into a future where they have to be successful at it or else they're doomed or how is this going to support me? There's none of that. There's the simple recognition of an enthusiastic idea that you're just, it could be cooking, it could be organizing things, it could be business, it could be art. Whatever it is, there's something that everybody does that they're really enjoying. And when you're doing that, you're doing, you're, you're being the best you can be. That It's not like you have to try. Trying screws it up. Mm. You know, trying means that you're, you're doing something that you have to exert like a discipline. Yeah. You know, like discipline. I got... I'm gonna gotta sit down and I'm gonna play these scales until, you know, because if I can't, I'm I suck, you know? And and mm. that guy tells me I need to do that. And he did it. So I'm gonna be that guy. You know, all this kind of stuff. This is like a discipline. So you're sitting there sure. and you're like, shit, I don't wanna do this, but I've got discipline. This doesn't work. Mm. It doesn't work. Do you ever notice it what works is passion? It's a yeah. much more powerful manifester because if you're doing something and you're not enjoying the process, that's going to flow into what you do. It's going to be shit. Even if it's great, it's, it's not going to have, it's going to be missing something for you. That's why when, you, when you're doing something, if you're creating a piece of music or something that feels natural to you, you win. Yeah. 
because you're going to be doing the best you can because you're you like it and you're going to be attracting the right audience for you i love that the hardest thing for people to understand is there's nothing to fear for any reason anywhere at all that's actually the truth mm. <laughs> so i know that there's a lot that would a lot of people who would debate that but sure it's actually the truth i yeah that's super compelling to think about and i'm you know as, as us as guitarists as musicians artists composers you know that is such a a thing that can you know, even like writer's block. I think for any time I ever felt any sense of writer's block, it's just that I'm afraid that what I'm doing isn't going to live up to something I've done before. So yeah, that's very I, common. Very yeah. common. Yeah. Here, here's, I get asked that question a lot. A lot of times when we're experiencing just dead wood, you know, there's nothing, no inspiration, writer's block or a slump or whatever, the fe fear can set in there. Mm-hmm. And it could take a hold. So what if I never write anything good again? You know, yeah. what, what, what if, what if I, uh, what if I never play again? You know, so th these are all insane thoughts that yep. just, just circle in the head. It's the ego, it's fear. Mm -hmm. So a couple of things you might want to consider remembering, and this is for the audience too. I, I know I, <laughs> I go through it. I've been through it. What I've noticed is, the creative process is almost like it's like seasons in a way, mm. you know, it, it for, for many people, it flows in in great abundance. And then it almost seems as though there's a period where you have to you have to manifest it, you know, like the inspiration comes that that's really what you're looking for. And then the creating of it is just, you know, part of the process. And there's always these ebbs and flows. I always see it as it when you're in a, a a dry period, your inspirational muscle is recuperating and getting ready. Mm. And if you are in that period and instead of telling yourself all of these fictitious, fearful thoughts, you tell yourself, OK, this, this is what's happening now. I'm in a rest period of inspiration and I know that it means there's going to be an explosion pretty soon. So I better be ready. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not going to worry that it's not here right now because evidence, which is my past, tells me, get ready. It's coming. And you yeah. better be ready. And don't be, if you're afraid of it, you miss it. Yeah. You miss it. So when that idea comes, then... You can experiment with this. You may notice if you're if you if you have enough presence in you, you may notice the quality of thoughts you're thinking about your good ideas. Hmm. And they may sound something like this. Well, that's a really great, compelling idea, and I'd love to do it, but where am I going to find the time? Who's going to help me do this? What if it fails? You know, what what does it matter? Does it matter what I do? Like, you know what I mean? These are this can be thoughts that arise in people <laughs> if you're conscious enough to see that you're thinking these thoughts, just to even recognize, because people don't know that they're thinking, they think that they're true. They think these yeah. thoughts are true. <laughs> and if you believe that they're true, guess what? They're true for you. Mm. <laughs> so if you can recognize 
the quality of the thought you're thinking and then change it because this is the only power you have. Yeah. This is the only power you have. And it's not even in the world. There's the only, the only power you have is the power to choose the kind of thought you want to have. Nobody is in control of that but you. And that's at the core of the quality of your life yeah. and, and your creative expressions. So if you can catch yourself in a negative frame of mind and recognize that's bullshit. I don't have to believe that shit. <laughs> I prefer to, to feel this way. And you just make that little shift. That's the secret. That is a great word. I love that. I, hope, I, I think that's... Uh, your fans. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I want to close by asking one last gear question because there's, mm -hmm. there's something interesting about your new album. Mm -hmm. I'm used to seeing, hearing you on the gem, hearing you on, on your signature guitar, yeah. which is an incredible instrument and just super compelling. It just as a piece of art, as a, you know, a, an instrument. Thank you. Tell me about this Hydra guitar. This is, is this the guitar that you use? Is, did you make it specifically for this album? Tell me, tell me what's going on here. Yeah. Did you see a picture of it? I did. Yeah. Pretty wild, huh? It is. It's um, great. You know me, man. The ham is cooking. <laughs> I'm a performer. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that started about five years ago. I was watching a Mad Max movie. You ever yeah. see that one with guys going through the desert and he's in the yeah, front yeah. And he's got that wild guitar. And I'm yeah. like, that's cool, man. I want a piece of that. You know? Okay. <laughs> so I, I started, I started, then all of a sudden the download came. You yeah. Know? And the, down, the download sounded something like this. You're going to develop, you're going to design a guitar that has three necks and harp strings. And the 12, it's going to have a 12 string up top and it's going to have half fretless because I can, <laughs> you know? And then it's going to have a seven string and a bass with the E and the A string fretless. And at the time I was really into the steampunk culture, you know? Mm -hmm. So I got a bunch of, uh, got a bunch of stuff together and I, uh, with my ideas and I sent it to Hoshino. Yeah. And they made a rendering. These guys, man, they went to the wall and they sent me this rendering of this guitar. And I'm like, well, it has everything I asked for, but you can actually build that? <laughs> looking, you know? And I'm like, yeah, they're not going to build. They're not, they, they can't, they're not going to do that. We, they built a prototype and we tweaked it a bit. And then probably about three and a half, four years, you know, in the, I get this guitar and yeah. I'm looking at it and, it's awesome and it's intimidating because part of the download of the original download of the idea was, and you also have to write a song that sounds like a piece of music and not a gimmick, you know, yeah. and yeah. immediately I, I, I knew that I had to navigate this, this instrument before it was built mm -hmm. you know? it, by creating a seamless piece of music that um, stands on its own but is also a marvel to watch yeah. because it's freaky to watch, you know? Yeah. And when I got the guitar, I, I had it set up in the studio, you know, and I'd had, I'd walked past it, I don't know, 25 times a day, you know, for a year <laughs> and a half. And every time I walked past it, the guitar would say to me, 
you know you got to play me by. <laughs> <You know? laughs> be like, no, I don't want to. Yeah. So finally, I carved out six weeks and I just sat in front of it and just, you know, when something seems impossible, the moment you start doing it, it doesn't seem impossible anymore. Mm. So uh, the the song has a unique kind of a flow because it's linear. Yeah. Because when you listen to it, all the bass, the seven string, the 12 string and the harp is all one performance. Yeah. You know, and I did it in sections, you know, I yeah, I sat there at the intro and I thought, what am I going to do? You know, and I just started and then it just started. And then I went to the, the A section, you know, the verse worked on, some, created something, worked on it forever until I could do it. And, you know, the drill. Yeah. Everybody knows the drill. You just the, the, the secret ingredient is the knowing that you can do it if you put the time in. It has yes. to be a knowing, not a belief. Yes. You know, if it's a belief, that means, but maybe not, mm. you know, like I believe this to be true, but I really don't know. That's what a belief says. But knowing doesn't have any belief in it. It's knowing. So you, it once you start doing something where that little voice says, yeah, I can do that. Yeah. Like yeah. The, 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 the realistic, it's not, not the crazy fantasy stuff, yeah. but the thing that says, yeah, I can do that. I need time. It's done. Yeah. It's done. Nothing yeah. can stop it. Not the, the sun, the moon, and the stars will work with you. And trust me, I needed them for that. <laughs> <laughs> so then I slowly went through it. And uh, it's interesting because, you know, usually a song is like got a thumping bass. And then you put a guitar on top of it. Yeah. And there's a melody guy over here. That all had to happen in one. So learning to control, like... The melody had to sound seamless. Yeah. And the solo had to sound like a Steve Vai solo without compromising. Yeah. But I, at the same time, I'm, I'm juggling chainsaws, you know, with, with the bass. <laughs> so uh, it was a lot of work, but I'm really, really happy with the way it came out. It's so cool. It's so cool. And such a feat of creative and technical just exploration i absolutely love it thank you yeah well steve thanks so much for being with us today it is a treat you are a guitar hero of mine and uh, such an inspiration and it's been really fun to talk and learn from you today i really really appreciate your time thank you Corey. but i have some questions for you all right come at me you got time <laughs> yeah okay so well first of all what are you what are you working on now and what are you, your plans I have been working on continuing to grow this horn band that I have. You know, my core, like, so I'm, I have Wolfpack, Fearless Flyers, and Corey Wong, those sort of things. And Wolfpack is like the, that vision, that band is set and it's continuing to do its thing. And I was doing a bunch of writing and stuff for that. And then working on a new Fearless Flyers album, starting to write for that and getting ready to record. But just now got done touring as Corey Wong. Imagine that. And, you know, just kind of continuing to develop my sound, my identity in that, and how to be a band leader as like kind of lead rhythm guitar player, but also have like a six-piece horn section and like a slamming, you know, sort of thing. So I'm, I've been working on that and uh, just kind of continuing to explore 
what my voice is and kind of continuing to develop that. Mm -hmm. I would love to ask you all the same questions you're asking me about (laughs) all that stuff, but uh, you might've already done that on this form. I'm, I'm just going to throw it out there. I'm down to do whatever at any time with you. I mean it. You're one of my heroes. We should do something together. I would love that. I would love that. I'm going to take next. I'm I'm finished with my recording cycle, but next, next time I get into, one, I'm going to be sending you some stuff, brother. I'd I'm love in. Yeah. I'll do the same. Let's we'll play on each other's stuff. <laughs> I, I love that. That'd be great. I won't yeah. be using the Hydra though. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think I will either. <laughs> I hope when I walk past it at your place that it doesn't call out to me like you're going to play me. I'm like, no, 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 no. <laughs> All right, my brother. Let's hook up sometime. I would love that. Let's uh, after this, we'll exchange emails or numbers or whatever. Okay. Thank you. Yeah. Thanks, Steve. Talk soon. How about that? Steve Vai. Cat's amazing. Dude's got so much wisdom, so much history, a lot of musicality, a lot of technicality, and those things don't always go hand in hand. I'm just going to say it. A lot of cats out there that can shred cannot play very musically. Think about the song. Think about the music. Think about touching people's lives. That's exactly what Steve Vai does. Hey, thanks for hanging with us today. I'm super stoked that you were here. I'm really thankful and grateful to Steve for joining us. We'll see you next time. Peace!